I really like nuggets. No, I'm not talking about those little breaded chicken things you buy at McDonald's. I'm talking about those little tidbits of information that you hear that completely changes the way you look or understand how life works. And I received such nugget when I was reading a book by Andy Stanley called The Principle of the Path. And in this book, Andy tells us that the choices that we make in life lead us on a path toward a consequence, whether good or bad. And the nugget that I got from this book was that usually when we make a bad decision, we are facing a choice between what our heart thinks will lead us to happiness and what we know is true. Let me give you an example. Today after church, you go to Best Buy. And you're looking at all the big TVs that are on the wall, and you're thinking to yourself, that is a good-looking TV. 60 inches of 1080p, 120 hertz refresh rate. Man, the game tomorrow night would look so good on that TV. I mean, you could see each individual blade of grass that the football players are running on. That TV would make me happy. I know I don't have the money for it, but I do have this little thing called a credit card that I can put that TV on, even though I don't have the money to pay for this TV. Even though you know in your heart and in your mind that buying things that you don't have the money for is what leads to debt. But thinking that the TV will make you happy, you decide to purchase it anyway. You chose to follow what you think will lead to happiness rather than what you know to be true. And the same is true of many other areas in life. Like eating food that isn't healthy for us leads to unhealthiness. And having relationships with people that aren't a good influence on us can lead to broken hearts and broken relationships and broken marriages. But the truth is, most of the time, when we make a bad choice in our life, it's our fault. When we're faced between that decision, we choose to follow our happiness. And we end up on plan B in a place where we did not want to be. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in a plan B situation, it was because of the choices that we have made. That is not always the case, however. Sometimes, even when we choose what is right, God takes us off of our plan A and puts us on our plan B to align us with His plan A. Such is the case with Joseph. Last week, we left Joseph in prison. He had been given the choice when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. To choose what he thinks will lead himself to happiness by giving in to her temptation or to do what he knew to be true and honor God in his decision 
And Joseph chose to take the path of truth. And he finds himself in prison. And this must have been extremely difficult for Joseph. Because he was living his life to honor God and it seems like God is abandoning him here. But as we read today's story, Joseph had two things going for him that helped him through this situation. And before we read, I'm going to give you those two points because I'd like to do this a little differently. Normally, when you teach on a narrative, you read the story and then you draw the points out afterwards. I'm going to give you them first because my hope is that as we read them, these two points will be like a filter that will bring this text to life. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to take out your bulletin and turn to the sermon notes page. And on those sermon notes, you will find the two points in a question format. The first point of today's message is, how did Joseph humble himself and allow God to work? So as we're reading, I want you to ask yourself, how did Joseph do that? And secondly, how did God's presence make the difference in Joseph's situation? So I'm going to pray, and then I'd like you guys to follow along. And as we're reading this passage, when an answer to one of these two questions comes to you, I want you to write it down. And then after I'm done reading, I'm going to give you the opportunity to share what you saw. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that we're about to read today in the story of Joseph and how Joseph chose the path of truth. And yet he was facing a difficult situation because of it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to gain insight into what happens when we choose to do what's right and we still feel like life isn't fair to us. Father, I pray that you would fill this room with your Holy Spirit and that right now, as I read this passage, Lord, that you would speak to each individual person and that they would gain understanding to what this passage is all about. And that they would be able to share that with us as we go. Genesis 39, verse 19 through chapter 41 through 57. I'm going to edit out a little bit of this because it repeats and it's already a long passage. But the stuff that I'm taking out, if you're following along, is stuff that has already been stated. It's just repeated. Um, just a little side note if you're following along in your Bible. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison... The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden made Joseph in charge of all those who were in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men who were being held in prison had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to them, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup into his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you did when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even there I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given him a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will cut off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the head of the cup chief bearer and the chief baker in the presence of officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants 
and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it for me. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh told his dreams to Joseph. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that come up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain, scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown him what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout all of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of the good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. The food should be held in reserve to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Joseph was given by Pharaoh the name zaphnath paneah and gave him... Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of An, to be Joseph's wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Potiphar's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping record because it was beyond measure. Before the years of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of An. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. 
and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of the famine came, just as Joseph has said. There were famine in the other lands, but the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. When the famine had spread over the country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold the grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So how did you see Joseph humbling himself and allowing God to work through that story? Doris? Uh-huh. Okay. No, that's that's good. It's good. Judy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't argue at all. Exactly. Rihanna? Yeah. Yeah, when he was accused and, and put in these difficult situations, he chose to trust God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Taurus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. He gave credit to God when God gave him the ability to interpret the dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else did you guys see in this passage? All right, here were some of the things that I came up with um, for the first question. It says when he was put in, into the prison, he was made in charge of everything in the prison. He didn't just kind of do his job. The text kind of carries this idea that he has like genuine care and concern for the other prisoners. And this is shown in the way that he listened to their dreams, you know. And he, and he sees them dejected, as the passage says. They were sad. I would have been like, you're in prison. You're supposed to be sad. But like he noticed and, and cared for them and, and listened to their dreams. And then as Doris pointed out, he gave the credit to God when that happened. And then once the cupbearer was given the interpretation that he was going to be restored to position, he humbled himself and asked for help. And then when he was in charge of Egypt, he was a good steward of his position and he was responsibly storing it all up. And then we see through the name of his second son that one of the things that Joseph enjoys is being fruitful. You know, in allowing God to work through him and actually making something happen. And then we also see that he sold grain to the rest of the world. He wasn't hoarding it. He was sharing it. What about the second question? What did you guys see? How did God's presence make the difference in Joseph's situation? Gabby? <laughs> I 
Yeah, that's great, Gabby. He helped Joseph to interpret the dreams. Yeah. Judy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, God made the, the situations that Joseph was in go well. Sure. How else did was God working in the situation where his presence made the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he helped the cupbearer remember in the right time. What were you going to say, Emily? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, God was there with Joseph during that, that two years. Yeah. Here were some other ones that I came up with. Um, he, we saw that God gave the prison warden favor in Joseph. And so that Joseph was put in charge and now able to interact with these other prisoners in a way that if you re- notice toward um, or in the part where Pharaoh is being told by the cupbearer about this Hebrew, he's not called a slave anymore. He's now, I'm sorry, he's not called a prisoner anymore. He's now a servant in the, in the prison. So, I mean, he still was technically a prisoner, but he had he wasn't probably in chains the whole time. He was able to move about and, and care for people and talk to people, which was, you know, I'd rather be doing that than being chained down. He also brought two people that had direct access to Pharaoh into Joseph's care. And Joseph was able to care for them. And not, not only that, but the one who, you know, lived from Joseph's prophecy was a person that, you know, talked to Pharaoh on a day-to-day basis, whereas the baker probably didn't have as much access as the cupbearer did, right? And Joseph was able to interpret the dreams, which had two different outcomes, you know, which validated it. You know, there were a couple different things that made the cupbearer say, wow, this really was, you know, not just a coincidence. He really knew what he was talking about, you know. And then... God also gave Pharaoh the future, you know, so that Pharaoh could understand what was going to happen and bring Joseph in. And then the the next slide. Um, You know, Joseph was given wisdom by God to not just go in there and, and interpret the dreams, but to actually have a plan, which then opened the door for God to put Joseph in place of commanding Egypt. And then Pharaoh had the ability to realize that Joseph wasn't doing this on his own. The passage directly said Pharaoh realized that the the Spirit of God was in this man. And then God blessed Egypt with those seven years of plenty, gave Joseph a wife. And then Pharaoh trusted Joseph, which is significant because if you think about it, according to Pharaoh's dream, eight years at the minimum had to pass before Joseph's full interpretation came to be. So as we, as we see this passage, there were really two parts, two acts, if you will. There was the part of Joseph in prison, which would be like an extreme low. And then he was brought to be made ruler of all Egypt, which was a high, a definite high point. However, in both situations, 
both the high and the low, both those elements of Joseph's humility and trusting in God, both in the difficult situation of being unfairly imprisoned and the huge responsibility of being in charge of Egypt and having to take care of all this grain. Joseph had to humbly trust God. And in both situations, it was God's presence and God being with Joseph that made the difference. It doesn't say Joseph was doing things for God. It merely says that God was with him. And that's significant. But there's a third element to this story, not just in the highs and the lows. If you'll notice, when Joseph was brought into Pharaoh's presence, it said he was 30 years old. A couple weeks ago, when we talked about Joseph being brought into slavery, being sold there by his brothers, it says he was 17, which means that 13 years has passed since the time he was in Potiphar's house, like that included in that 13 years, and then also in prison. However, in the text that we read today, it mentions three times a passing of time, which leads me to believe that a majority of this 13 years took place while Joseph was in prison. And what we can gather from that is Joseph spent a lot of his life waiting. And that's especially significant because back when he was 17, he had a dream that he would be made ruler and he would rule over his brothers. And at this point in the story, that still hasn't happened. He's still waiting for that. Why is waiting so hard? Yesterday, my sister got married. um, And I got to be a groomsman in her wedding. Which means that I had to pay a lot of good money to rent this year tux. (laughs) And there was simply no way that I was going to spend all that money and just wear it once. Plus, I look pretty good. (laughs) But just like me wanting to get the full value out of the money that I had to put in to run this tux, we want to get the full value out of the time that we have on earth. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it very hard to justify waiting as time well spent. But waiting is very important. Because God uses that time to develop us. Back when I was a sophomore in high school, I knew that God had given me a calling to become a youth pastor and to go to Moody Bible Institute. And at the end of my senior year, I got an application into Moody. But a few weeks later, I got a letter back saying that I wasn't accepted. And that was really hard. I remember the day that I received that letter sitting in my room and just saying, like, God, how in the world could you do this to me? Like, I am sitting here trying to give you my life and serve you with my life and follow you. And, like, isn't, like, being a pastor and helping people, isn't that what you want? Like, why in the world would you do this to me? Like, you're making me wait at least a whole year. And that, that's what I ended up doing is spending that, that year in between high school and college working. But in hindsight, I can see how God used those years for my benefit. If nothing else, you know, I was able to work full time 
and save up enough money, but that by the time I graduated, I didn't have any school debt. And I can see how He used that year to mature me as an individual so that I was better able to handle the difficulties of college. And He also used that year to put people in my life that mentored me and that led me to teach a Sunday school class and to read books that helped me to understand more what youth ministry is about. And so God can use the times of waiting to develop us and prepare us for His plan A. And that's sometimes what He uses plan B for. And so we see that in the highs, the lows, and in the in-betweens, the situation is not what's important. In all those cases, what's important is your relationship with God. And when we're really enjoying life, and when life is just terrible, and when we're in the excruciating time of waiting, our relationship with God needs to be like this. We need to cling to Him and trust that He will make the difference in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank You that You promise to always be with us, just like You were with Joseph. Father, we know that this life is like a roller coaster sometimes. That we have times when we're just excited about the way that You're blessing us. And there's other times when we're questioning why we have to go through the things that we have to go through. And there's even other times when we're just not sure what's going on and we're waiting on You. But Lord, we know that You are always with us. And we ask that You would comfort us with that idea and that we would cling to You no matter what we're facing in life. Lord, this morning as we present to You our tithes and offerings, we want to thank You for how You bless us with the ability to buy food and to put roof over our house and buy some of the other things that we need or or want. Lord, this morning, as we give to You our offerings, we want to give You thanks and give You the glory for what we have. It's all from You. And Father, we ask that You would use these funds to further Your Gospel around the world. Specifically today, Lord, for Rodney and Faith Anru, who are our missionaries serving in Kenya. Lord, we thank You for their service and we ask Your blessing as they finish up their school year. That they would have many opportunities to share Your Gospel with the Kenyan children there. Lord, we pray as Rodney and Faith's parents are both out on their way to visit them. That You would grant them safe travel and that they would have a good time together and that they would be encouraged by the presence of their parents. Amen.